Judges chapter 8. Now the men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. So he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? And their anger toward him subsided when he said that. When Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the three hundred men who were with him crossed over, exhausted, but still in pursuit. Then he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted. And I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the leaders of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, For this cause, when the Lord has delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Then he went up from there to Penuel, and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him, as the men of Succoth had answered. So he also spoke to the men of Penuel, saying, When I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were at Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east, for 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. Then Gideon, up, Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in tents on the east of Nobah and Jogbehah, and he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. When Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued them, and he took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and routed the whole army. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle from the ascent of Heres, and he caught a young man of the men of Succoth and interrogated him. And he wrote down for him, the leaders of Succoth and its elders, 77 men. Then he came to the men of Succoth and he said, Here are Zeba and Salmuna, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Salmuna now in your hand, that we should give bread to the weary men? And he took the elders of the city, and thorns of the wilderness, and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. And he tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. And he said to Zeba and Zamuna, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? So they answered, As you are, so were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. And then he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not kill you. And he said to Jether, his firstborn, Rise, kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a youth. So Ziba and Zalmunna said, Rise yourself and kill us, for as a man is, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmunna and took the crescent ornaments that were on their camels' necks. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you, that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had golden earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. So they answered, We will gladly give them. 
And they spread out a garment, and each man threw into it the earrings from his plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes, which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains that were around their camels' necks. Then Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in his city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted their heads no more, and the country was quiet for forty years in the days of Gideon. May the Lord add his blessing to the very reading of his word. If there is any characteristic of organized and assembled people, it is that they very often look for and desire strong, decisive leadership. Looking for strong leadership is a good thing, but people often have the tendency to take that leadership and ascribe an expectation of perfection on it. They want perfection. They want a leader who meets their needs. They want a leader who fills all the voids in their lives and makes everything right. With every election this country sees, from from mayor to senate to, to president, we always have this attitude of this guy, this candidate, this woman, this is the person that's going to fix things. This is the person that's going to make things right. We always have this, this sentiment in election time. And then when the person is elected, we're always sorely disappointed. Something comes out about them, some major failure happens, they can't deliver on their promises. And then we find it just part and parcel of our exercise to ridicule and to despise the person and to complain. And that's all part of it. We lift a person up and then we tear a person down. If there is any evidence for the reality that there is one great king of all the universe and one Messiah who is going to rule forever and ever, it is that we have this inbuilt, innate desire for that type of perfect leadership. And we look for that perfection everywhere and we never find it. Because God has said there is one coming who will be perfect. Gifted individuals are often granted great power over others. And history is full of dictators and kings and leaders who have been given power by people only to abuse that power. Our high hopes are dashed and disappointed. But the Bible never shows us a perfect ruler other than Christ. In fact, the Bible never shows us a perfect human being other than Christ. No individual in Scripture other than the Lord Jesus is without their faults, without their sins, without their problems. And Gideon and his leadership is no exception. Humanity is complicated. The curse of sin has mingled in with every aspect of us. When we talk about total depravity, that means that every aspect of our being is touched by the depravity of sin. And so because of that, we are very complicated. And Gideon is complicated. He's like you and me. He's an individual who's a sinner. He's called by God... He has accomplished much by faith and by following and listening to the Word of God. But he also is subject to his own insecurity and his own weakness and his own sinfulness. His pride and ambition get the best of him. 
I mentioned at the very beginning of the series in Judges that there is a downward spiral through the book. Each judge seems to have more and more problems. Well, Gideon is a mixed bag in that regard. He's a mixed leader. We start out chapter 8 on a good note. We continue from chapter 7, where we saw last week, uh, where he, by faith, defeats the Midianites. Remember, the point was that the Lord alone has saved. The Lord alone has delivered. It was impossible for Gideon's 300 men to accomplish that. And so God gets all the credit. Well, good for Gideon. He recognized that, and he was obedient to the instruction, and God got all the credit. We're coming off of that now in chapter 8, and we see this little situation right at the beginning here with, uh, with uh, the, uh, the issue here with uh, the, the men who had stayed behind. And we see that he is applying the godly wisdom that comes with the characteristics blessed upon him to be a good leader. We see encouragement displayed. We see the character of God demonstrated in Gideon to show that everyone who contributes to the work in the kingdom of God is doing a great thing. Uh, right away, says the men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this by not calling us when you went to fight the Midianites? Uh, why did you leave us out? Why only to 300? We wanted to be part of that. And instead of saying, well, you couldn't have fought that fight, or instead of saying, you didn't have the skill, or instead of saying, who are you? I didn't need you. He says, no, no, no. Don't worry about that. What you did was just as important, if not more than important, because you provided for us. You provided for the land. You provided for the people. And that was a vital thing. So don't feel bad about that. Now let's remember, when we're dealing with the work of God, God's message throughout the Scripture is that there should not be one type of task that is... Um, you know, more celebrated or more perfect than another task. If God has given you a gift and an ability to work for Him and to live for Him, don't worry about what other people think of that. There are, there are tasks and there are things on this earth that people look down upon, but God doesn't. When the Lord Jesus girded Himself as a servant and washed His disciples' feet, that was incredulous. What? Who does that? But the Lord shows that, no, that was something that was important for him to do. And it showed the fact that when you're doing the Lord's will, you don't think less of it. And Gideon displays that good character here. There's no prejudice involved with God, but there is encouragement. So we see Gideon as a good leader. And then we take a turn for the worse. As the narrative goes on, we now see, start to see some troubling patterns arrive amongst the ins and outs of his leadership here. We get to this issue with the people of Succoth and Penuel. Now first, let's consider them before we move on. We're not dealing with reliable, faithful people here in Succoth and Penuel. Okay? These are not innocent people here. Rather than help God's servants for the glory of God, rather than provide and to build up a group of people and encourage them and help them on the way, it says they were exhausted, and rather than take pity on their exhaustion, uh, they show a selfishness, they show an arrogance, and they show a lack of faith. 
They're selfish with their goods. And they use the excuse that they want proof before they shell out, before they invest their time, before they give anything to the mission and to the cause. And how much like that are we? We look at God's church, we look at God's ministry, and if we don't see what we consider success, uh, we stay stingy. And we say, I don't know if I want to be part of that. I don't see enough proof of success there. I don't see enough polish. I don't see enough energy. I don't see enough ambition. I want to see results before I contribute, before I get involved, before I uh, build up the ministry, before I invest. Never mind what God's Word says. Never mind the promises that come from above. Never mind the almighty, everlasting power that takes the impossible and makes it possible. No, no, no. I want to see before anything else happens. Don't be like these people. Don't make your faith only in what benefits you or what you think suits. Put your faith in the hand of almighty God. Step out onto the one who will carry you and who gives instruction, who gives word and says, do this and trust me. Christ is the proof that you're looking for. Christ came, Christ died, Christ rose again. He is the one who has fulfilled. If you want evidence, I say it all the time, Christ is your evidence. The Bible is your evidence. We trust and obey. And we know that he will deliver, and that he will be the help. And so therefore we help in the kingdom of God. So we learn faith from the instruction of God, not from the evidence around us. Don't be like Succoth and Penuel. So, man, they're not innocent here. But we also see some major problems here with Gideon's response. Gideon, in my understanding and interpretation, responds to their uh, sin sinfully as well. He responds in a way that was not becoming a servant of God and not becoming the character of someone of God. He returns after victory, and then he rubs his victory in their faces. He says, look, you're not going to help me. You're not going to provide for me. I am going to punish you. I'm going to scourge you. I'm going to make you suffer. I'm going to tear down your battlements. And I'm going to take down your elders. That's a sinful response. He gets no instruction from God to do that. He is not, we don't get any sense that he's doing it to preserve the glory of the Lord. We get a sense that he's doing it because he needs to prove himself. He's not looking to protect God's honor. He's looking to protect his own honor. He wanted to make sure that he was understood and respected. And he wanted to make sure that he saves face. You're not going to help me out? You don't think you can trust me? You don't think that I'm going to be successful in this matter? You just wait. I'll show you. Beware of pride and beware of the self-image that we so need to preserve that is fueled by pride. When we live for God, remember, he takes care of his own issues. Somebody wants to, to smear the face of God. We can, of course, defend that. 
But retribution is not for us. Revenge is the Lord's. And unfortunately, Gideon is so obsessed with himself and his own ego in this, set, in this situation that he thinks he has to take revenge. Now, who is your Lord? And when your ego is wounded, how do you respond to people? Do you say, well, I am going to display the wisdom and gentleness and character and grace that my Lord tells me and teaches me to display? I'm going to look to his word, or I'm going to get back and I'm going to do what it takes to make sure people understand that you don't mess with me. No, no, no. Seek him, not self. Live for God and avoid the self-image preservation and the pride that seems to fuel humanity so deeply. Gideon shows this, displays this, and the unfortunate thing is his victories, well, his victories and even this, unfortunately, has an effect on the people and is somewhat impressive. Because when he returns now, we see in verse 22 that they want to make him a king. I said at the beginning that people are always looking for that perfect leader. Now, God's people were never given instructions for an earthly king. You can look through the Old Testament. You can look through the Pentateuch. You don't see instruction. And this is what you shall do. You shall set up a king, etc., etc. We know very well the situation when the people called for a king. And uh, they wanted, uh, they wanted uh, Saul to rule. And Samuel warns them. He says, you really got to weigh your consequences here. God has never given you instruction for this. Well, there's always frustration among humanity. We know that our desires don't get perfection. We know that. And yet we still look for that perfection. Every problem, every opinion, nothing ever perfectly solves today. People are very free with throwing out what they think should be done. People are very free with their opinions of what party should have dominance, what ideology should have dominance. Great, there might be some better ideas out there than others. But don't ever believe that your ideology, this hu any human ideology, is ever going to bring perfection to the earth. As a matter of fact, we've seen demonstrated that even when Christians are in power, they botch things up. And when they try to apply Christianity in the best sense, it's never perfect. That's why the church sets up checks and balances. That's why the, the church that stays humble, that stays obedient to the Word of God, tries to prevent abuse. And we've seen in history when that hasn't happened, and even God's Word is perverted by people. So don't think that any ideology is going to bring perfection. We seek that, but we will never find it this side of glory, and we will never find it in ourselves. Gideon brings a satisfaction and a confidence as a leader that causes people to want to trust him as a king. Matter of fact, the comment is made here that he has the image of a prince. He has the image of a ruler. He's got that, he's got that, desire, he's got that aura around him. And so they desire to make him a king. His victories testify that he's trustworthy. His actions show wisdom for the most part. And here's a guy we can trust. And we're so desperate for that right now because we seem to be under so much hardship. The situation reminds me a little bit of George Washington. 
I mean, who George Washington could have massively abused the trust and the power imparted to his people uh, as a general and even as president. But thanks be to God, by grace, he resisted. God's word teaches us to take every human endeavor with a grain of salt. We do right, we do what needs to be done, but we expect problems because of sin in this world. They will never be utopia. No one will ever be happy, not without Christ and not without God. We seek, but you won't find outside him. When they desire a king, credit goes to Gideon for speaking good words in their response. In verse 23, he says, no, I'm not going to rule over you. Neither will my sons, but the Lord shall rule over you. Good. He at least says something right. He says, this is not my place. This is not my calling. This is not my right. He understands the limitations of God's use for him and that this was not in the will of God. We're getting a glimpse back to the early humility we saw in the beginning at his calling. He wasn't one who jumped at the chance to do this. And so here, again, he's saying, no, 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 this far but no farther. I am not your king. Don't look for me as a king. Good words. But unfortunately, once again, bad action. His faith falls short. Instead of continuing God's instruction for his people, he gets creative. Instead of going back to the law of Moses, instead of going back to the worship that is spelled out and that God desires and that God provides, he innovates and he gets creative. And we see that he asks for the jewelry and he asks for the the ornaments and he creates an idolatrous situation. He speaks good words, but they're not followed by good action, followed by bad action. And yes, because of Gideon, the land was delivered for 40 years and had rest for 40 years. Yes, the Midianites were defeated. Yes, there was a material peace, but ultimately no spiritual peace. And because of that, we see Gideon ultimately failing. He's a failure because he sets the people up for their next oppression. He delivers. He does it by God's hand, but he lays the groundwork for the next catastrophe because the people are involved in idolatrous worship again. Idolatry is tolerated. After great faith had been displayed, and we know from the pattern of this book that the people rebel, the people seek false gods, and what happens? God brings them back into oppression And the cycle continues again. Now, we have to look at that, and we have to see a mirror and a lesson for us. We have the faith of God. We can see his failure. We can see that he had a faith. But instead of continuing in that faith, and instead of continuing on the written word of God, we always look to, I have a better idea. This looks appealing. This looks interesting. Let's pursue that. Let's follow that. Let's desire that. No, no, no. Stay the course. Live for the Lord, depend on him, and don't be a failure like Gideon because you opened the, the door for idolatry because you started to think of yourself a little too highly and you started to look for popularity more than what was right and what was true. 
You'll seek, you'll look, you'll search, you'll dig, you'll, you'll scrape, but you'll never find if you're looking only to humanity and materialism. What about seeking and finding? Gideon didn't solve or quench the ultimate thirst that the people had. They wanted him to be a king, even if he had become a king. It wouldn't solve or quench their thirst. When you seek only for material solutions, you will ultimately be let down. But when you seek the one true God, the God of the Bible, you will find the source of all, and you will find satisfaction of all. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek Him. We know that there is a reigning Messiah, a reigning Messiah King right now. Don't look for politicians. Don't look for policy. Don't look for philosophy. Don't look for scholarship as your king. They're all helpful. They all provide aid, but they are not your Messiah. There is a reigning Messiah King right now. You have his gospel. You have his word. You have his spirit. Trust him and believe on him. Find satisfaction in him alone. You see the fragility and the insecurity of our world right now in the news. You see, though we have anointed ourselves as high as the eagle, something very small, something very subtle, something very unknown can change our way of life very quickly. You see how fragile things are, and I, I've always preached that as part of the essential gospel. With mankind, with humanity, with life on this earth, in this fallen world, there is fragility. But not with that reigning Messiah King. The scriptures tell us to live for God's everlasting kingdom. And one way or another, this world will pass away. We will all face death in some way or another, at some time or another. Soon or later, we will all stand before our Lord. We will all face death and we will all be brought into our next existence. We all have to grap grapple with that. And we all have to ask ourselves, what are we living for and who are we living for? What are we contributing to with our life? And who are we worshiping and glorifying in our life? What you desire, that perfection, that security, that peace, that rest, all of that that you look for from things, from entertainment, from relationships, from policy, from money, from jobs, all the things that you look for and seek, you will only find the satisfaction you desire in Christ and his kingdom. You will only find that fulfilled in him. And when he returns, he will fulfill all that. And he will be the perfect king. And he will be that Messiah that fills in the gap that we all have, that we all seek for, that we're not finding here, but we can find in him. Your needs and your yearning are satisfied in Christ alone. The Lord speaks to this satisfaction. When he says, I'm the bread of life, you eat me and you'll never go hungry again. What's he talking about? He's talking about this. Believe on me, trust in me, lean on me, be part of me, become one with me, make me your way, your truth, and your life, and you will never be hungry again because your soul will be full, your life will be eternal, and you will know where you're going and what every purpose of everything really means. 
Drink of the water and you'll never thirst again. He says, I am the light and the life. I am what gives life. Your disappointments end with him, but they expand with people. You want utopia? You want everything now? Christ offers more than any utopia you can imagine. And he offers it for eternity, in eternity. He is the one. He is the Savior. And if you're grappling with how to make sense of these uncertain times and the shift in culture at the current moment and what's happening and where we're going and how this will all be resolved and who will be sick and who will not be sick, there is one absolute that you can know. The Lord Jesus and his salvation and his word. Read it, seek it, digest it, absorb it, live it. Live for him. The Lord will be your king. The Lord will rule over you. And you shall hold your peace. He doesn't make mistakes. His sacrifice was for you. His atonement was for you. His resurrection was for you. And his faith, the faith of him is given to you. Trust him. Believe him. Obey him. Live for him. At the top of your outline, which is below this video and in your email, we have the verse from Hebrews 12, 8, 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. <laughs> We're part of a kingdom that cannot and never will be shaken. Live for that kingdom. Serve God. Reverence Him with godly fear and love, all fueled and motivated by the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God given to you, which provides for you, which carries you, which helps you. The Lord shall rule over you. Believe him, submit to him, live for him. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to see the frailty of humanity as we look at the account of Gideon and help us to recognize that we ourselves cannot trust and look to our own pride and we ourselves should not make people our gods ever and should not hope for godlike results from people but should look for you and to you and to your everlasting kingdom and to your everlasting perfect rule. Lord, we pray to you and we ask that you would apply this to us and apply yourself to us. May you be our rock, our fortress, our way, our truth, and our life. May we glorify you and enjoy you forever. May you be our all and in all. As we reverence you with godly fear, knowing and living for the kingdom that will never be shaken. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.